0: If you have your Bibles, um, turn to the letter of Paul, to the Colossians, letter of Paul to the Colossians. If you need a Bible, we have some Bibles at the back available for you to borrow if you don't own a Bible and also um, to, to borrow, but if you do need a Bible, feel free to take it home as well. And so we have some Bibles um, available for anyone that might need it. Um, As a church, we are endeavoring to walk through Um, the letter of Paul to the Colossians last week was our first week Um, and um, it was good. It was really good. I think it was. (laughs) Um, Brilliant book and I'm thankful to continue the journey through this book. And so this week, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. And follow along as I read. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard this and understood it, the, the gra- and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Pray with me. Father, again, we are thankful to be here. Help us to not take lightly the blessing it is for us to gather as your people and hear from you through your word. So, Father, open up the eyes of our hearts so that we may see you through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were to ask me to come up with a sentence that would communicate the heart of the passage we just read, this is what I would propose. It's instructing us to give thanks to God for faith Love and hope, which is produced by his gospel message and delivered through his messengers. Let me say that again. All right, if you were to ask me to come up with a sentence that captures the heart of what we've just read, I would propose that it's instructing us to give thanks to God for faith, love, and hope, which is produced by his gospel message and delivered through his messengers. And from this sentence, we'll get our outline for how we're going to walk through this passage. And so, first of all, it's telling us to do what? Give thanks to God. Last week, we learned from verse 1 and 2 that the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter to the church in Colossae. Last week we also um, went through the introduction and we got to know who Paul was and who the church in Colossae were and what the theme of this letter is. Now we enter into the main section um, of the letter. And as we do, we'll begin to discover verse by verse, chapter by chapter, not only what God had to say to the Colossians through Paul, but what God has to say to us from the letter to the church in Colossae. Let's begin with verse 3. It says, we always give thanks, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. From the outset, this is what's happening. Paul lets them know that every time he and his team pray for them, their prayers are filled with thanksgiving for them. He says, we always thank God when we pray for you. In verse 3, we also discover that God is the focus or the target or the recipient of the praise. Paul's thanksgiving for them is directed towards God. Now, before we move on to the next verse, we must stop and camp out here in verse 3 a little longer. And the reason is, um, it reveals to us certain truths we need to reflect on that we'll benefit from. The first truth we learn is that God, who's a recipient um, of Paul's gratitude, is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In referring to God as the father of Jesus, what Paul is reminding them of is that Jesus is God's son. And if Jesus is the Son of God, that must mean he's equal, in essence, with God the Father. And if Jesus is equal, in essence, with God the Father, this must mean Jesus is... Help me out, guys. Exactly. Second, Jesus is not only the Son of God, but we're also told that he's the Christ. Jesus was a first century Jew. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, engaged in ministry in his early 30s, and died through crucifixion around 30 AD. This is some history for you guys, okay? And this letter by Paul to the Colossians was written 25 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. In this verse and throughout this letter, Paul refers to Jesus as the Christ. The term or title Christ is taken from the Old Testament. It means anointed one. And the title, anointed one, was a Jewish way of saying that they were God's king. In ancient Jewish tradition, kings were chosen and installed through the anointing of oil, okay? And so someone, whoever is identified as a king, right, the prophet or whoever has that authority will grab some oil and pour it all over them, all right? I've not had good experiences when it comes to the pouring of oil on my head. I have not. Once, (laughs) once I went to a conference with my mom and I was sitting there just, you know, minding my own business, and then there was this guy who called himself a bishop, pointed me out and asked me to come to the front. And so I was nervous. What is he going to do? What's going to happen? And so I make my way to the front, and I meet him. And then he called his gang, the other pastors, and they all surround me. And they all lay hands on me and begin to pray for me. And as he's praying for me, he's trying to, like, force me down, right? And I'm just like, no, I play soccer. I've got strong legs. I'm not going down, Okay. <laughs> And so then what happens is like, oh, she's not going down. He's a strong lad, plan B. And so what they did was they grabbed a big bottle of oil and they brought it. And instead of dabbing it, and he started to pour it all over my head. And then what I did was I screamed and I said, oh, what are you doing? My hair. Don't make my hair up. And the reason I said that was back in the day I had Jericho's. Right? Some of you might not know what that is, but I had Eskel and I was like doing the whole thing and he was messing it up, man. So I've not had good experiences when it comes to the anointing of oil, okay? Regardless of that, in ancient Jewish tradition, kings were chosen and installed through anointing with oil. Therefore, Christ was not simply Jesus' surname, as if his mail or his letters were addressed to Mr. J. Christ. It was more of a title like saying King Jesus. It described him as the king and ruler of Israel. And so for hundreds of years, before the time of Jesus, the Jews had not had a king. The prophets of the Old Testament looked forward to a time when God would send a great king to deliver Israel from her oppressors and establish a dominant kingdom. So in this letter, Paul is saying that Jesus, the Jew who was crucified 25 years ago and is now risen and alive, is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised king they've been looking forward to. As Christians, living in a 21st century Western culture, we're very familiar with the term Christ. And because of our familiarity with the term Christ, it's very easy for us to miss okay, miss out on the impact of Christ the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember that Jesus was the son of a Jewish carpenter. He traded his profession for the ministry and had followers for a while until he was crucified by Jewish authorities. Tony Payne, who is a well-known Christian author, describes Jesus as an obscure man, who died an early and humiliating death, seemingly without having achieved any great success. Yet, yeah, in this letter, penned by Paul to a group of Christians in Colossae, about 25 years after Jesus' crucifixion, consistently lets them know that Jesus is the Christ, that he's God's appointed king, not only of Israel but he's the king of the world. And he'll rule over all the nations of the world with justice and righteousness forever. And this is an extraordinary claim. It really is. And so Paul begins um, the main section of this letter with thanksgiving to God the Father of Jesus the Christ. And he needed to begin this way because as we discovered last week, the members of the church in Colossae were continually bombarded and some of them were enticed by some philosophy from the East and Jewish legalism. And what he's saying is that before I carry on with this, before I get into what I really want to thank God for you for and all of these things, I want to remind you that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that all the other gods that you guys are worshipping, right, are nothing compared to Jesus. Why? You can't just take Jesus and add him as one of your other gods. No, Jesus is the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, and he's the only one worthy of your worship and your praise. Question. Who do you believe Jesus is? If you were to meet Jesus and he was to ask you, who do you say I am, what would you say? If someone, and this could happen this week, was to ask you, Who is Jesus? How would you respond? Do you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, your Savior? Paul is thankful to God for the Colossians and everything he's about to say, he's thankful for in the life of the church in Colossae. What he does is he attributes it all to God. So what is Paul thankful for, um, to God for, when he prays for the Colossians? In this section of Paul's letters to the Colossians, we're instructed to not only give thanks to God, okay? Next, we're instructed to give thanks to God for faith, love, and hope. Look at verse 4 in the beginning of verse 5. It says, since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, Paul often gives thanks to God when he prays for the Colossians because he's heard about their faith in Christ Jesus. He's heard about the love they have for all the saints, and he's also heard about um, the hope they have for future. Let's look at each of these. It says, first, He thanks God for their faith in Christ Jesus. The word faith here means to be persuaded that something is true and to trust in it. I've been persuaded by Apple computers that this iPad I'm using is the most environmentally friendly and the most efficient way for me to store my notes in order to preach from them, okay? And they also convinced me that this iPad I'm using is not going to suddenly stop working while I am preaching. That would be a nightmare, okay? I am putting a lot of faith in this iPad. I really am. And most of us and all of us put our faith in all sorts of things, okay? Put your faith in your car. You put your faith in the chair you're sitting on. You're putting your faith in the chair you're sitting on because you trust that that chair, as you're sitting on it, listening to me, is not going to collapse, And fall apart. It's not going to do that. That being the case, the Colossians, like many of us here, have placed their faith in Jesus. They've been persuaded that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. They're convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, therefore he's not only their Savior, but their Lord. Paul not only thanks God for their faith in Jesus for their faith in Jesus he also expresses gratitude because he's heard about their love for all the saints one of the ways to know if someone is truly saved one of the ways to know if someone is truly saved is because of their love for fellow believers if you're here and you're a Christian you should have a natural affinity towards Christians our love for other Christians is a reflection of God's love for us. Okay? The person that says, "Hey, I love Jesus. It's all about Jesus, but I don't love his church." is really saying that I love Jesus, but I don't like his bride. It's also like this. If any of you or anyone wants to come up to me and say, Obed, I think you're awesome, I think you're brilliant, I think you're lovely, and I really like you, and I really love you, but your wife, Eleanor, mm. <laughs> not sure about her, don't really like her, that would be absurd, wouldn't it? That would freak me out if you don't like me, right, if you don't like my wife, you don't, I don't like, you know, type of thing. Our love for Jesus should cause us to love other believers. Our love for other believers is a reflection of our love for Jesus. And I'm not saying this. What I'm not saying is that you have to have the same level of emotional appreciation for everyone okay right there's just some people that we are more in terms of have more of a good relationship with but when it talks about showing love love is a verb here and what this love means is that if you see someone in need right do all you can as a Christian to meet that need Last but not least, because of their faith in Jesus, they do not only display love, but have the hope of heaven. I've heard about your faith in Jesus, Paul has been saying, and the love you have for all the saints. And these two qualities, faith and love, exist among you because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, verse 5 tells us. Here Paul is reminding them that because of the finished work of Jesus for them and your faith and believe in him there is hope there is a hope that is laid up for them in heaven the word translated laid up means to be reserved to be set aside for someone therefore this hope of heaven of eternal life is reserved for all believers and we're guaranteed to one day attain it, right? And the hope of heaven is especially important for us in light of the suffering and brokenness that we see all around us in the world, right? If we don't have this hope of heaven, which is guaranteed, which is laid up for us, it's it's hard. It's hard. Because if we're living... For this world and everything in this world and all of our life is focused and based on what exists here, we're going to be miserable. We really are. But as Christians, we realize that all we have here is not all we have. We have hope for heaven to come. We have an eternity and we don't have an eternity where we're going to sit on clouds and drink Kool-Aid and all of those things. We have an eternity and heaven is all about Jesus Christ And so more and more, my wife and I have been going through a season where we're realizing uh, and being exposed to suffering and the brokenness of this world. And the more we're exposed to it, the more and more we're dissatisfied with life on this earth. And the more and more we look forward to being with Jesus in eternity in heaven. The name King's Cross Church is not the name I came up with. If you, are an ang- if you are an Anglophile, that is a person who is fond of and greatly admires England and Britain, I absolutely love you. <laughs> so if you're an Anglophile, you'll know that King's Cross is the name of a lab- neighborhood in London. Just as Pacific Beach is a neighborhood in the city of San Diego, King's Cross is a neighborhood in the city of London. King's Cross also has one of London's busiest train stations. Near the station, there's a cemetery containing a very unique and an uncommon grave. This tomb is made of marble, and it belongs to a lady named Anne Grimston. Anne Grimston was not a Christian. And because of this, she didn't believe that there was life after death. She denied that she would be resurrected from the dead. Okay? She denied it. You no know, life after death. Before she died, she said sarcastically to a friend while drinking tea in her deathbed, because Brits drink tea all the time. This is what she said. I shall live again as surely as a tree will grow from my body. Okay, so she's like, yeah, I'll only believe if there's life after death, if a tree grows from my body. Now, if you were to jump on a 10-hour flight and visit her grave near King's Cross Station, you will see something very interesting. What you're going to see is that four trees have grown from her grave. What does this teach us? Not only is there life after death, but there's life and power in a seed. And there is life and power in the word of God. And when God's word is planted, it produces fruit. And faith, hope, and love are among the first fruits in the spiritual harvest. And the gift of faith, the display of love, and the assurance of the hope of heaven is evidence that a person has truly been born again. Let me remind you that Paul is writing this letter from prison. And despite his current situation, he writes with a heart filled with gratitude towards God for the faith, love, and hope that exists in the life of the church in Colossae. And this is what we should be most thankful for. We should be. As believers, every time we think about ourselves, every time we think about others, we should be absolutely most thankful for the fact that we are saved and that God's grace in Christ has been bestowed on us as a gift. And because of this, we not only are able to express love to all the saints, but because of this, we have the hope. Of heaven. This passage instructs us to give thanks to God for the faith, love, and hope. Next, if you're taking note, point three, which is produced by his gospel message. Right? So this passage instructs us to give thanks to God For the faith, love, and hope which is produced by his gospel message. Look at the end of verse 5 and 6. It says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Here, we're being made aware of the fact that the faith, love, and hope they have is a product of the gospel. The word gospel means good news, okay? Good news. Therefore, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has overcome the problem of sin through his sinless life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection from the grave. And in this section of the letter, Paul lets us in on certain characteristics of the gospel. First, the gospel is all about Jesus. That is why through this letter, he is constantly bringing up the name of Jesus. Why? Because the gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel message is not a philosophy. It's not a religious set of beliefs. At the core of the gospel is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Second, in verse 5, Paul refers to the gospel as the word of truth. This basically means that because because it originates from God, it's trustworthy. It's not only true, but it's truth. Third, in the last part of verse 6, the gospel is described as the grace of God in truth. The, the grace of God in truth and the word grace is very interesting the word grace basically means us receiving what we don't deserve okay and by God's grace by his love he has bestowed on us salvation forgiveness of sins peace with God eternal life and we didn't even deserve it and that is what grace is fourth in verse six We're also told about the impact of the gospel. It's bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. This basically means that the gospel transcends ethnic, geographic, cultural, and political boundaries. And we know that to be true. Just look around you now in this room, right? We are a bunch of random people from different backgrounds and what are we doing here together? How did all this come about? How did a group from Arkansas end up here? How did a guy from Britain end up here? How Santa Barbara and Arizona and all of these places that we're from? How did we all come back to come together in order to gather and worship Jesus Christ? What are we doing? How did that all come about? It was the gospel. This right here, what you're seeing is the fruit of the gospel. And you guys are privileged and honored to witness God at work in amazing ways. The gospel the good news that because of God's grace, he sent his only son, Jesus, to live a sinless life. Died the death of a sinful man. Rose from the grave in order to have victory over sin, Satan, and death. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. The only truth, the only remedy that will provide you with peace, with God, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. And this gift, all of these benefits are available for anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so the gospel requires a response. And so if you are here and you are yet To make a commitment to Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the fact that God loves. And because of God's love, he sent Jesus to die on the cross and rose again. And because of that reason, through Jesus and through all that he's done, there is forgiveness of sins. There is eternal life. There's all of these things available. So if you're here and you're yet to surrender your life to Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to do that. Come and see me after. Come and see one of our leaders after. We will be able to explain the gospel to you more and pray for you. We must give thanks to God for faith, love, and hope produced by his gospel message and lastly, delivered, by his messengers. Delivered by his messengers. If people are to be saved, they must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they're to hear, we who are saved must be the messengers. And in verse 7 and 8, we're introduced to a man named Epaphras. Everybody say Epaphras. I got you guys to do it last week. Epipress, what a name. We're told later on in chapter 4, verse 12 to 13, that he was from Colossae. And what had happened is that he had gone, uh, he had come in contact with the Apostle Paul. Paul is the author of this letter. And and during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus, he meets Paul there. Paul shares the gospel with him, and Epaphras gets converted and saved. After his radical conversion, Epaphras returns home to Colossae. And because of his love for Jesus and his experience of saving faith, he begins to share the good news of the gospel to anyone and everyone he knows and comes in contact with. In the beginning of verse 7, we're told that the congregation in Colossae first learned the gospel from Epaphras. And the word translated learned here has close relations with the word disciple in the Greek language. This lets us know that Epaphras didn't simply lead the Colossians to Christ and then leave them. He helped them learn Christ. Epaphras was a faithful minister because he not only won people to Christ, but he taught them the word and helped them grow so much to highlight from the life of Epaphras but what I would like to point out from his life is that God does not always need apostles and full-time church leaders to do the work of ministry all he needs all he's looking for is people that are passionate About him and his work, and willing to do and go wherever he wants them to go to. One of our values as a church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what that means is that I believe, right, that my job, I'm not the only one who's called to do the work of ministry. I believe, totally believe, and it's true that every single member of our church is able and capable to do the work of ministry. I tell everyone who wants to be a part of this, I, said, I say, hey, you're not going to sit on the bench, right? You're going to be in the game. And I tell them because I'm like, hey, if you are saved and if you have God's spirit in you, you are more than capable of being used by God to change lives around you. You really are. And so that is what we're about. That is what we want to be about. Everyone needs to be in the game. Epaphras should be an inspiration for all of us. Because he was a normal person, just like you and I, and was greatly used by God to help many of his fellow Colossians come to faith in Jesus, display love for one another, and be assured of eternal life. And the reason why Epaphras was so passionate and so, was so successful wasn't because he was this amazingly gifted man. He was consumed by the love of Jesus that has been displayed in his life. And that's what happens. Once we encounter Jesus, the more we know Jesus, the more we're like, man, Jesus, you are awesome. And guess what? I want to tell everyone about you. And that is why we always say here in this church that ministry flows out of intimacy. Ministry flows out of intimacy. If we're just doing the work of the gospel without staying rooted and digging deeper in who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, we're going to run out of fuel and we're going to be religious. We minister, we do the work of the ministry, but before we do it, we are always reminding ourselves and dwelling and meditating on the fact on all that Jesus has done for us. The beginnings of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae instructs us to give thanks to God when we've witnessed the faith, love, and hope of believers which is produced by his gospel and delivered through his faithful messengers. And the key to that passage is we give thanks to God because God is the one at work and by his grace, by his love, he's invited us to be part of what he's doing. And that is why we give him all the glory. And that is why we should be giving him All the things. Pray with me. Father, thankful for you. And Father, we give thanks to you for saving us. Father, we give thanks to you for the love that we have for all the saints. Father, we give you thanks for the hope of a future with you in eternity. And Father, we recognize that the gospel is your power. And so, Father, as a church, as people who have been saved by you, may we trust that you are at work. And may we trust in the power of the gospel as we go about and endeavor to make you known to people that don't know you. Father, I pray for the team um, from Arkansas who have joined us for this weekend and for this week. Father, all of us as we go to the park, uh, as they um, roam the streets in order to um, um, just bring about awareness of our church. Father, may you help them minister and serve out of A place where they are thankful and their hearts are filled with gratitude for what you've done in their lives. Father, may they minister out of intimacy with you this weekend here in San Diego. So thankful, so much we can be thankful for. But Father, we ask that may our hearts be filled with thanksgiving. Every time we're exposed to the work you're doing in the lives of people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.